For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. So much to discuss on this, the Kingdom of Pod on the Believe Podcast Network. Jeff Caves here. I want to get into quickly the story that's breaking as I speak about Boise State's team chaplain, uh, Mark Thornton uh, being dismissed from the team, not him personally, just the position. Get you the details about that story and my reactions and what I've learned more about it. The stories about Harson going to Arizona, why that would not necessarily happen, but some schools that it may. The issues at Utah State concerning LDS faith getting a little bit clearer. Boise State has hired Todd Turner. What does that mean for the Boise State Athletic Director search? This Sunday, the 40th anniversary of the national championship Boise State won in 1980. Paul Jay will recall some of the great moments and what the head coach at the time said to the star quarterback. That's a little hard to believe. Carl Benson with five points on what's going on in Group of Five football and the college football poll and all the backlash that's hitting the college football committee members. Carl, a former commissioner, a member of the NCAA Basketball Selection Committee, and of course, total preview of the Boise State, San Jose State, Mountain West Championship football game in the backdrop all of a sudden coming up this Saturday. Let's look at the top story that's come out just today. Uh, Rachel Roberts of the Idaho Statesman uh, breaking a story that kind of caught me off guard and I'm sure a lot of you about the idea that the team chaplain at Boise State is not a legal uh, item that the school can either provide, encourage, or give space to. I haven't quite gotten to the bottom of what, but the Freedom from Religion Foundation reacted to a column in the Deseret News in um, Utah, after the Boise State-BYU game, they just noted the players were praying and how that all came about, and they had quotes with Mark Thornton, the Boise State team chaplain. And so they pointed out to Boise State in a letter on the 25th of November that, that that's illegal. You, As a state entity, you can't do that. And from my information now that I've gotten, uh, Boise State looked into it and agreed that they were right. It is illegal. And apparently a state institution cannot provide whatever Boise State provided Mark Thornton as the team chaplain. Uh, maybe that's traveling. Maybe that's uh, a meal. I don't really know what other. Th- I'm sure he wasn't. I'm not sure he wasn't paid, but uh, Mark's a former player, a tremendous asset to the program for a lot of different players. Uh, I have noticed through the years uh, that Boise State may have a little higher percentage of kids who will at least, when talking to the media, um, talk about their religion, their faith, uh, their religious convictions. I think we all would agree that the Boise State team grade point average and the rate with which they get in trouble seems to be higher and lower, higher on the GPA, lower in getting in trouble. I do think that when you are a football coach and you're recruiting kids and you have choices to make, 
uh, kids who fill up their extra time with going to church, studying the Bible, uh, kids who choose their words and their public social media uh, statements or posts uh, that they want to thank the Lord or they consider Christ or they look at religion in their life as a value that is important to them. And then you start making your decisions on what other kids say and how they act and where they're spending their time. And I think uh, there's a clear, uh, a clear line here that uh, there is a certain character of person that Boise State has had success with. And this goes back to Hawk. And if a kid has some faith in his life, it may be sometimes maturity or uh, just a, a different discipline in his life that he takes on. And so I've noticed it through the years. And so I think that my first concern with this when Boise State's uh, president's office and legal team took away the chaplain position was that this would hurt recruiting. And it, it, it came sort of as a knee-jerk public reaction to what a foundation said, a Freedom From Religion Foundation and that I never saw a statement from Brian Harson about it, who this is his program. And when you go into living rooms and you talk about your chaplain service on the road and that you provide it uh, the night before a game and um, you have chaplain on the day of a game and you, know, you, you have team prayers that everybody can see and, and, and that's part of your culture that the players enjoy, accept, and want to be a part of, and then it's pulled out from under you because somebody else says you're wrong. I just didn't think the appearance of that was all that great in this particular situation and we never got information that it was deemed illegal by Boise State's team and so once they made that determination they cannot uh, start subscribing to illegal activities and so they had to make a change. If you want to make a change and have a little bit more fun when you watch college or pro football games uh, this weekend make sure you get over to betonline.ag it's a place to go with the NFL season uh, winding down in these college football games. There's game spreads, totals, uh, totals for teams, players. There's coaching props, all kinds of fun, uh, different wagers. Go over to betonline.ag today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. That's betonline.ag, your online sports book experts, and sign up today. I want to touch on the situation at Utah State and their challenges with their president and that investigation in a minute let's stay with coach harson here for a second and let's look at the, uh, the the conversation that's taking place around him and others about this arizona position and in general in observing harson and knowing him through the years i wouldn't say that he would be looking at a situation like arizona that that is more of a rebuilding situation i i really believe that uh, arizona has some resource challenges uh, compared to some of the well-heeled schools in the Pac-12. Pac-12 overall is a less resourced conference to begin with, and they are certainly not in the top couple of schools with Washington, USC, Stanford, and Oregon. And so I don't know why Harson would want to be a part of a rebuilding situation, or as one former player said, uh, they expected the coach to go out to the local boys and girls club and make a speech. Well, I don't think he's looking for programs uh, that are needing that kind of attention I think he wants to win championships and he wants to take a program that's been at the top right back and in the recent past and have a program stay there so I do think he would be a resourced program uh, favorite I do not think he would be looking at programs like Arizona Illinois or or Vanderbilt you can't win championships at Vanderbilt they have some other resources but I do think that 
programs like Virginia Tech, Tennessee, Auburn, and Oregon certainly would interest uh, Brian Harson if he's at a point in his career where he wants to move on. And speaking of that, uh, Mario Cristobal has just signed an extension at the University of Oregon. So the new terms of his contract provide for a $9 million penalty that he would have to pay if he leaves the University of Oregon in less than two years. So I think that, you can say, is off limits for a couple of years now. And uh, we'll see. Andy Avalos, somebody that has also got some head coaching aspirations, uh, wouldn't look like to me it's too likely to happen at Oregon before uh, 2023 at this point. The issues at Utah State getting a little clearer, and then I'll talk more about the Boise State search for athletic director. Uh, But if you haven't heard... A couple of players on the Utah State uh, football team finally came out and started talking about what they heard on that Zoom call with the president of Utah State when they were discussing the uh, then open head football coaching job at Utah State University. This TV station, 2 News, wrote the story and busted it out that said the players are saying that they heard the president, Noel Cockett, uh, say that her quote what do we say to outside people who ask us about hiring an ld lds person from utah we tried it and it didn't work now the players were defending the current interim coach who is lds and even went on to the coach himself say that you know he's of polynesian descent as well and somehow there may have been disparaging remarks about that i didn't hear that or see that in this tv piece But ultimately, they did hire an outsider from Arkansas State, so Anderson takes over there. And the players were upset that their interim assistant coach didn't get the job. And then they didn't like the president on the Zoom call uh, to the players discussing the open position, saying, what do we say to outside people who ask us about hiring an LDS person from Utah? We tried it, and it didn't work. So she was talking about outside people. I think she's dealing with their reality. There's an independent investigation now ongoing because whatever was said, it forced the players amongst themselves to say, I don't want to play for this school anymore. Uh, So they took the game off, ended up having to forfeit it. Uh, But I think the president, not to defend her exact quote, because I didn't hear it and I'd have to hear a lot more of what she had to say, but I think that her intention was to make sure that the perception on Utah State is that they're not BYU light. And they don't want to get typecast as an LDS school when they're not an LDS school. Uh, There are a lot of people who are LDS that go to the uh, Utah State or a Mormon or whatever uh, words they're using to describe people who are Mormon or identify as Mormon or Latter-day Saints. So I just think she doesn't want to limit the pool of coaches who would be interested in the position. And that she was trying to perhaps bat that down and didn't do a great job. So have to keep an eye on that story and and see how it unfolds here again at Boise State the athletic director's job uh, is open and of course the interviews have not started yet but uh, Mike Alden the consultant to Dr. Trump and the selection committee uh, have gotten together and the three entities that I just named have all agreed that Todd Turner of College Sports Associates would be the person who should go out and do the search for the next Boise State Athletic Director. So he was hired. I looked into Turner's experience. He's been an athletic director himself, uh, namely, you may remember, at the University of Washington. Very well respected, extremely eloquent, apparently. Good presentation skills, specifically for presidents. 
And so he was trusted, and that's why he got the search. Now, a lot of people in the business will say that be careful who you get to do the search because whoever you get to do the search is going to bring you the kinds of people that they think should be your next athletic director and that you're going to get you know, uh, some search firms that won't give you a chance. So it, it, it may not always speak to you know, what the school wants or needs versus what the search firm wants or needs, and that's just the fears of the people who I've spoke to that wanted to be in the search uh, for the next Boise State Athletic Director's job. What I did find out, though, is that Turner has experience in the Mountain West Conference. UNLV, Nevada, and San Diego State uh, all used Turner and CSA to hire their athletic directors. And what did we learn about those hires that may lead us to learn something about who could be the next Boise State Athletic Director? Well, at those three schools in the Mountain West that have had athletic directors hired or searched out by Turner, uh, they all had Power 5 experience. So maybe that's going to have to be in the calling card of the next athletic director at Boise State. I even went so far after USA Today released a report or somebody else did the grinding on how long every athletic director in a conference has been in that job. And I learned that the average experience for a Mountain West Conference athletic director is five years. Kurt Apsey, Boise State's uh, previous AD, uh, had just about five years on the job, so he was about average. What I really thought would be most interesting, though, is to look at what kind of quality Mountain West athletic directors are. How good are they? Um, how ambitious are they? And where do they go after they leave their current positions? And I did see that uh, there's at least four that have moved on and gone into Power 5 or high group of five academic or uh, uh, athletic departments. You have former athletic directors in the Mountain West Conference at Missouri, Pitt, Cal, and Memphis. And I guess on the other hand, uh, Boise State's not a part of that group in that the last two athletic directors at Boise State uh, were pretty much terminated by their presidents. Uh, it's never been officially stated that Marlene Trump terminated Kurt Apsey, but I don't know that... Uh, there would have been an extension of his contract uh, coming up in July of 2021. So uh, both parties d decided that they didn't want to have that relationship anymore. And we know Gene Blameyer was fired by Bob Kustra. So, you know, not all is exactly rosy, even though both of the athletic departments on the field were quite successful in many different sports. You could say that maybe the bank accounts weren't as successful or any other way you uh, want to put that. So that's the latest with the search. Of course, they hope to have somebody on board by March 1st. Coming up this Sunday, I got a note from my former teammates on the 1980 Boise State Football National Championship team. Uh, if you didn't know it, the program at the time was in 1AA. Uh, was called now of course it's called FCS football but nonetheless Boise State went on to win a national championship beating Eastern Kentucky in that game and I thought it'd be fun to just do a brief look in with Paul J. Schneider the longtime voice of the Broncos who called that game and I talked to Paul J. in a series of interviews that I'll, I'll tell you about once I'm done and then we'll get on to our 
breakdown of the Mountain West Championship game. But I talked to Paul Jay about calling the 1AA title game in Sacramento 40 years ago this Sunday. Uh, I was a freshman on that team. I was a snapper. I snapped for punts and extra points and field goals. I played all the special teams, and really my, my biggest job was giving Randy Troutman a rest whenever he needed it at defensive tackle. I don't recall in that particular game uh, if I also took snaps for maybe Dan Lucard, our nose guard, or if somebody had their shoe that needed to be tied you know, and he came in for poor show or somebody. But uh, that was the extent of what I offered that team on that particular year. Uh, I do remember the game we played in front of eight or 10,000 fans. It was a very small stadium, I remember. On the other hand, we were on national television, ABC television uh, specifically, and it was a tight game. Uh, Boise State uh, was trailing in that game and came back, and then Eastern Kentucky, who was down by two points, scores a touchdown on a 60-yard pass with only 55 seconds left in the game, and they went up 29-24. to But we got the ball back, and in 43 seconds covered 80 yards and, of course, won that game 31-29 to with the infamous Joe Aliotti fourth and 10 scramble and finding the late Dwayne DeLuey in the end zone. So Paul Jay here discusses uh, our head coach at the time having some choice words for Joe Aliotti and why he thinks this was the start of something special at Boise State winning their national championship in 1980. You know, how did you – take that in you I know you had to go do a basketball game after but what did it mean to you to sit there and call the dramatic Joe Aliotti to Dwayne DeLuey touchdown pass I mean that was as dramatic at the time as as the Fiesta Bowl was in 2007. Yeah the, there's no question and, and we got to uh, uh, Sacramento and and uh, we had a booth that was almost out of the stadium and it was completely sealed there was nothing, no windows would open, nothing. So it was like, it was like doing play-by-play in the room I'm sitting in now. Wow. No, no ambiance, no, you know, it was amazing. The field was, you probably remember this, field was dyed green. Terrible. Because, yeah, the grass was all dead. National telecast on ABC, um, which I think at the time was a first for Boise State, coast-to-coast national uh, telecast. So uh, it was pretty exciting stuff. And uh, talking to Joe Aliotti, you know, he threw an interception late in that ball game. (laughs) And he said Coach Kreiner ran over to him, grabbed him by the collar and said, you just cost me my championship. (laughs) And Aliotti goes, what? And then, of course, they came back drove down and through the pastor DeLui. But uh, it was it was an amazing, close, exciting game. And like you say, uh, in its own way was uh, was like the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma. Down by two, it, it, there's a minute some going. It's fourth and ten. And yep. Joe goes to the right, there's nothing, and all of a sudden he's going to the left, and he spots Dwayne DeLuey, and, you know, the rest is really history. Fourth and ten, and he's scrambling around, and they win the national championship. And, and uh, you know, for you to have had an opportunity 
to call that right there and then the Fiesta Bowl call is it true? What was it, fourth and 10 in the Fiesta Bowl on the hook and lateral? I don't even know. I if think it was. May have been more. <laughs> may have been more. And I don't, that's a good. We but got, it was fourth down. You got to remember that when we get to that point. Um, but, you know, you didn't really get caught up in it because you had to keep working. You didn't go back to Boise and, and uh, sort of bask in it. How important was that, the national championship for the town at that time? You know, it was huge. And, and I talked with uh, Tom Scott, who uh, was at the game and came back on the plane. And he said, and this was probably a first for Boise State, said the airport was jammed with fans. Were you on that plane? No, I didn't come back. I stayed in California. Yeah. I, and I did too, obviously. But he came back and said, the airport was jammed, Paul J. You wouldn't have believed all these people. And I said, great. I missed it. I had to go to Stockton to lose a basketball game <laughs> to the University of Pacific. But uh, it, it was incredible. And the first maybe realization that this uh, team, this school was special when it came to football. I remember a lot of things about that game in, in uh, 1980 and uh, was an early start. I had to check with some of my teammates. It's 11 o'clock Pacific time kickoff. And the uh, week before against Grambling, we'd had an early kickoff as well. And so we were practicing getting up at 5 and 6 in the morning and going into uh, practice. We would actually practice getting up early because we had to get up, go into the a team meeting room, and then we could go back home so that we could get in condition of doing that. I remember waking up on the day of the game in Sacramento, and the massive doors where our team meal was, these huge, must have been 50-feet doors, were wide open, and Coach Jim Kreiner was trying to freeze us to be open, and, of course, it worked. Another vivid memory I have is Boise State, all-time great David Hughes had a horrible ankle problem and he was taking a painkiller just to be able to play and later in his NFL career that ankle gave him issues and he wasn't so certain that he didn't damage it uh, during his time at Boise State and then later in the NFL as uh, as well so I do want to say though that conversation you just heard with Paul Jay will be a part of some of the 13 hours on the oral history of Paul Jay and Boise State uh, which I recorded with him over the last couple of months. I'm going to be releasing this, uh, these, these podcasts uh, early in 2021. Um, but if you've followed Boise State sports, uh, if you've lived in the city of Boise any time in the last 50-plus years, uh, you're going to want to listen to this conversation as we go from 1967 to 2020 with with Paul J. Schneider. So I'll let you know when that's coming up, but that'll be sometime early in 2021. Well, the college football playoff poll has created quite a bit of controversy. Let's touch on that for a a minute because it does involve Boise State and the group of five uh, conference, uh, all the conferences in the group of five and the attention that's being put on whether or not they're being treated fairly. I thought it would be good to pull in uh, Carl Benson, the former commissioner of not only the WAC, which Boise State enjoyed a couple of BCS Bowl games in, but uh, Carl, the WAC commissioner, previous to that he was the commissioner of the MAC. 
and then ended his career as the commissioner of the Sunbelt Conference. That's quite a career. That's the dean of Group of Five Conference commissioners right there. And Carl Benson, I thought it would be good to get a hold of Carl and, and talk about this and deal with everything from what the national media are having to say, uh, how now the Group of Five are being referred to as the Group of Four and how effective that is. Uh, by American Athletic Conference Commissioner Oresco, if Coastal Carolinas get entreated fairly or not. Carl's the one that brought them into the Sun Belt Conference, but let's get our conversation with Carl Benson. All right, Carl, let me ask you about this and taking a look at all this issue surrounding the college football playoff poll. And let's just start early, really, on the process with you know, the Sun Belt profiting from playing early by getting ranked. You know, in the Mountain West, for example, never really caught up. And I thought that was a, a key factor for them. And and as we go forward, Carl, is this going to change anything? Because I always felt for years the Sun Belt really wasn't getting the respect of the voter. And if anybody, the Mountain West was, the Americans started getting it, the WAC used to, in small increments. And will this change the dynamics of how voters look at the Sun Belt, for example, moving forward? You know, I wish I could say that it that it will, Jeff, but I don't think it's it's a whole lot different than you know back into two thousand five, six, seven, eight when when Boise State had its its uh, run of you know of dominance in the in the whack, and you know it 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 is so it is so uh, obvious that how you start the season, where you start the season in those polls, whether it was the, the AP poll or the, or the coaches poll, when it was the computers were doing it uh, to today. Um, you, you don't, <laughs> if you don't start, if you don't start the, the season, you know, ranked in the top 15, it's going to be awfully hard to, to move up. And, and you're exactly right that, you know, Coastal Carolina was on nobody's radar screen. Right. Louisiana got on the radar screen early with a win against Iowa State, but they haven't they haven't moved up. Uh, reminds me of another. This is I think this is relevant. I remember 15 years ago, uh, Jim Delaney, commissioner of the Big Ten, came out when there was debate around bowl games and the and uh, and how how bowl games and how the CFP and then the you know then it was the BCS. Delaney said, "We don't we don't need bowl reform. We need poll reform." <laughs> that's a good. And, and I think that that's that's still the case today. Let me jump on the poll reform because I want to look at. You've got experience on the NCAA selection committee and. The college football playoff committee, as you've reminded me, is inspired by that in terms of how they're put together. The current CFP committee that's making these decisions has two group of five ADs, five power five ADs, an ND, an, ind- an independent AD, a couple of former P5 players, a former P5 coach, you know, a media person. It, it seems like, Carl, at the end of the day, there's about 30% at best representation for group of five interests. Is this a problem for the group of five, just the way the committee's put together, or not? It absolutely is. Uh, you know, is you know, it shows exactly, you know, who who is making those 
those decisions and who's making those selections and and why the the power five you know dominates the you know the polls uh, you know saying that this this year probably has had the most group of five or as commissioner Oresco says the the group of four, four. along with <laughs> our six uh i thought his comments yesterday were were interesting i'm sure that Craig Thompson and commissioners of the of the MAC and and Conference USA and Sunbelt uh, didn't appreciate being called the the group of four. But uh, regardless, there've been you know, there've been more teams in the in the top twenty five from the non Power Five. Right. When I say Power Five, that then would be inclusive of of the American. I think that's safe to say that that's a description that captures the other five conferences, however you want to describe them. But, uh, but, you know, the original makeup, Jeff, of the, of the selection committee uh, prior to the 2014 season, which was year one of the CFP, it was, it was 12 representatives from the power five and one representative from the group of five. And, and the rule was that it could not be an athletic director. It had to be a former coach, a former player, right. a former president from one of the group of five. It could not be an active sitting athletic director. And the, the five commissioners, which I was one of at the time, you know, every year we would talk about the, the makeup of the committee. And finally, after four years, five years, uh, we finally won a won a battle by being able to put our representative, and it was a rotating member. Uh, and when it was turned, when it was time for the Sun Belt to finally have a representative on the committee, on the selection committee, the CFP selection committee, they finally allowed a sitting athletic director, and and I selected, nominated Terry Mahajer, the athletic director at Arkansas State. So he was, there. First, he was the first group of five athletic director wow. around. And, and now there's a second one uh, that, uh, mm -hmm. that is kind of rotating on there. But, I mean, it, uh, you talk about, a, you know, is it, is it a token, you know, is it a token uh, uh, representative? Uh, you know, absolutely it is. Let me ask you this about Oresco's choice of words. He introduced Power Six. He also introduced now a new word, Group of Four. Looking at tactics like that as Commissioner Styles go, um, we've got him doing that. We've got Thompson pretty much staying out of the fray. Uh, I guess Gill, the, your replacement at the Sun Belt, is, was on a media conference call talking to his own media, saying that they're one of the best football conferences in the country and that he doesn't think chirping to the media is going to move the needle. So you've got all commissioners with different responses. Um, how effective is Oresco's approach? Because most people gravitate towards that one. Well, I think he's, he's been very uh, persuasive and influential with, his, with the media. And, you know, Mike's history was as a CBS executive, you know, he came to the commissioner table, uh, well-known, well-established inside of the, of the, you know, the, the FBS family, so to speak. And, um, 
I think the media gravitated to Mike quickly uh, when he when he initiated his Power Six campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other nine commissioners in the room, the five Power Five, and the four others, including myself, um, you know, I think it was met with, you know, some resistance and some, you know, really, or you know, you, you're really going to be out there putting P6 on the back of your helmets, and you know what, what is what is that going to, uh, you know, what kind of impact? Now, to their credit, to the credit of the American, they have delivered on that campaign. And and whether it was UCF and their, you know, self-proclaimed national championship or, you know, Houston's run or uh, Memphis run a year ago or Cincinnati this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they've been successful, you know, when playing in those New Year's Day games. Um so, I, but in terms of, and you and I have talked about this before, in terms of of what is the CFP going to look like, um, you know, in the future, you know, I think Mike's strategy has been to separate the American from the other four conferences, both uh, perception-wise with his Power Six campaign, and to do it on the field, so that. The next time there's there's television negotiations or CFP negotiations, he's going to claim that that the American Conference deserves a seat with the other five conferences uh, and not be lumped in with the you know the other four. Thus, is now reference to the group of four. Let me pivot here for a second and get back to some of the controversies really of the the last college football playoff bowl was set sent off a firestorm. Uh, Barda, the CFP chairman for this year, said that you know Cincinnati hasn't played since November 21st, and other people have played two or three games, and at the same time Ohio State's played one game since November 21st, but he said the committee didn't even consider moving Ohio State out of their position. So is that bias? Or is that just really a repeat, Carl, of the strength of schedule argument that a lot of Power Five people hold on to? Yeah, I mean the, the inconsistency uh, from the other night was was very very visible, and and I think that's what created the firestorm. You you know we were talking off air, you know why why now are you know Pat Forty and um, you know other brought you know national journalists uh, jumping on the you know on the bandwagon of fairness mm-hmm. and how whether it's cincinnati or coastal carolina or university of louisiana that that is you know that, that beat iowa state and yet is ranked 10 spots lower than you know than, than iowa state uh, i think that whether it's the, the stars have been aligned and the in terms of of giving the journalists and the media uh, the representatives, you know, great fodder to uh, you know to, to question the you know the, the CFP rankings. I mean, it's uh, they they've made it. The, the committee has made it easy easy for scrutiny. That's for sure. So within the within those committee meetings, which you've been in, because you've been in NCAA basketball selection committee meetings, and this is no different. They're just selecting, 
poll results, and then ultimately they'll place the New Year's Day six. And they have influence on a lot of other things, really, with their work. Um, you know, how does it happen then, as Tim Brando from Fox pointed out, that you know Florida drops one spot when they lose to a LSU team that's underwater? They're not even 500. I mean, it, they're just not a great football team. And that you know Iowa State stays in there at number six. Um, it seems a little more out of line than it has been in the past, Carl. So how, how does group think affect all that in the committee? Like, who's the alpha that takes over? And there's Ronnie Lott, a former USC player, right? He's a former guy. I think there's a former Penn State guy in there, too, a really bright guy. How, how do these guys get sort of bought in to let's protect our own versus the others? Well, and in in, in Gary Barda's comment that, that Coastal Carolina – you know, didn't move up any further because they struggled against a, a bad Troy team. Yeah. Uh, and yet, as you mentioned that, you know, LSU, a bad LSU team beats Florida and, and there's very little movement, just the, 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 the inconsistency, um, you know, the CFP uh, also retains a, a media consultant and his name is Ari Fleischer and those listening that, that followed the political uh, arena. Ari Fleischer was was a press secretary for uh, I think the uh, the Bush administration, and he has been a paid consultant by the CFP. And after every committee meeting, before and before, I mean, they're they're prepping, they're prepping Gary Barta, the chair, you know, with with talking points and in preparing. And I, I don't know how the, the other committee members aren't asking, how, how do we defend this? How, <laughs> we, how can we defend Florida not, not being, and, and they simply, yeah, it's, it, has been, it has been such a, and maybe the best way to blame it on, hey, Jeff, blame it on COVID. Let's just blame everything on COVID. Yeah, well, the polls were certainly lopsided early because of the schools who could play, and and that Coastal Carolina came to mind for me quickly, Carl. And until they beat, I think they beat Louisiana, right? Until they that did. happened, uh, and Louisiana's win over Iowa State was factored in. They weren't even in the polls. It took them weeks to get in there, and now look where they are. So, I, I know it's uh, it's not ending. We'll see where this all lands. What are your final thoughts here? Well, again, it's uh, a little bit of deja vu uh, for me right now, watching Coastal Carolina, uh, and uh, you know the the dilemma of here they what one they've got a they've got a tough you know opponent in Louisiana, mm-hmm. and yet if uh, you know if, if also were to beat Cincinnati, um, and and Coastal Carolina loses. If both Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina lose, who is the Group of Five representative? I think Cincinnati. Yeah, I do too. Opinion. Yeah, a higher ranked team that lost. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. Always good. Thank you, Carl. Hey, Jeff. All right, let's get into the breakdown of the Mountain West Championship game, and you know, let's not take it lightly. This is an opportunity to notch another. Uh, championship in Boise State's belt and uh, getting there four consecutive seasons I think is an unbelievable 
accomplishment or getting there uh, four years. Um, you can't always win it per, per se, but this could uh, add to the, at least the third time of, of getting it done. So I think that there's a lot of uh, benefit, especially with all the challenges that they had. But I think going into the season when COVID hit, I knew that uh, when they got back on the field, this would all favor Boise State because they have the best depth. They have the most consistent coaching staff that has the same coaching playbook that's been passed down from year to year, uh, more so than any other uh, school in the Mountain West Conference. So I thought they had an advantage, really, and it has come through in, in some trying circumstances. Uh, Boise State's offense against San Jose State's defense, of course, we talked about some of this before, but defensively I think San Jose State may have uh, changed a little bit but only gotten better. They got two great defensive ends who they rely on, rely on to bring pressure. You've heard a lot about Cade Hall recently. Uh, he is the Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year. Fajoko, the other, is a pretty effective defensive end as well. Boise State, of course, has to pay attention to him. they got to get help from running backs on some blocking, some chip blocks on those guys uh, before they go out into their pass pattern or just stay in and pass pro to help Hank Bachmeyer. I mean, it may be interesting uh, if – San Jose State can get pressure with uh, just four or five guys, three or four or five guys, really, uh, because that means Hank's going to have some challenges on his hands. He's going to have to hit his first or second read. Uh, maybe they can't get a safety uh, valve backfield uh, throw in because they're helping on the pass rush. Um, there'll be more pressure on Eric uh, Kesaw, the play caller, uh, because you know, you've got to dial it in if you don't have as much time as a quarterback. So I think it's really important that they protect Hank well. Um, looking at how San Jose State has played, you know they've been relying on keeping everything in front of them, forcing teams to make longer drives, not by letting them get behind them in quick big plays. So they want you to have to execute. And I think you know with Boise State, uh, at times that's been a challenge when they've had different quarterbacks out there with different pieces and parts. But I think at the, at the most part, Defensively, that's a good tactic. I think Boise State has to put San Jose State on their heels, though. Um, they have to make all 11 defenders of San Jose State uh, tackle, so quick slants, throws to the tight end, can all lead to some pretty big plays if San Jose State doesn't tackle well. Who knows if Halani is going to play? That's a mystery at this point. He didn't look great, have much confidence in what he was doing because of his knee and that bad surface in Wyoming, but... You know, Andrew Van Buren has proven that he can drive the boat and he doesn't really need much of a backup. This is really still uh, Shakir's world and we're all just kind of living in it. And if I'm San Jose State, I'm going to do whatever it takes to take him away and make somebody else beat you. And for Boise State, that somebody else better be Thomas or Bates or maybe it's Helani uh, because Shaq's world is pretty effective. I mean, He's got 40% of all the catches. He's got 50% of all the receiving touchdowns. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to shut down uh, Shakir. And if that works, uh, great, we win. If we don't, then make somebody else beat him and make him drive 10, 11, 12, 13, 15 play drives to get it done. Boise State's defense against San Jose State's offense, on the other hand, uh, San Jose State mixes it up. You know, they've got three different options to go to offensively. They've got a six-year sixth-year wide receiver in Gaither. They have a tight end, Deese, who's headed off to the NFL, and then they have a playmaker at wide receiver, Trey Walker. Uh, these are the three amigos. Uh, but this is an emotional team. They've been playing very hard. They've been playing very hard at running back. 
the last couple of games, they've had three 70-yard-plus runs from the running back position. So they're exploding through holes. They're running through tackles. And, you know, it's not that Wyoming wasn't or couldn't, but, you know, San Jose State's a confident group, and they can look at last year's tape to, to see that they scored 42 points on Boise State's defense. Now, you know, they had Boise State going into the fourth quarter, uh, and then, you know, really George Helani and Boise State's offensive line just ran all over them and took care of the game, sort of wore out San Jose State. Uh, the transfer that they have at quarterback Starkle isn't as good uh, as last year's quarterback, uh, but he isn't turning the ball over. And right now, I like the way Boise State's back seven is playing on defense. Uh, San Jose State, don't make many mistakes. They have not fumbled the ball one time this year. That's just another reason why they've been successful. I think it comes down to emotions and poise and something that Boise State has a lot of. Uh, this is a neutral site game, no distractions. All the attention San Jose State is getting is not coming Boise State's way. You could even see BSU feeling ignored and pissed off about all this. If you look at the all-Mountain West Conference first team, Boise State had very few members on that team. So maybe like some of those old Power 5 games for Boise State where they let loose on a higher-profile opponent and and try to take advantage of really a no-lose situation. So I like Boise State's chances to win here for the third time in four years. I'm going to call it 35-24. to 24. Boise State wins the Mountain West. We'll talk more about where they go from here and how that all works. But uh, thank you for listening to... This Kingdom of Pod coming out on the Believe Podcast Network. Please like, review, rate, subscribe to it. If you'd like to uh, get this in your email box, just go over to kingdomofpod.mailchimpssites.com and you can sign up to have it emailed directly to you. Thanks to Carl Benson for joining me and uh, Paul J. Schneider as well. I look forward to those oral history lessons from Paul J. as we move forward. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.